Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very, very, very special episode of Stay Grounded. Before I even begin introducing this week's amazing guest, I just wanted to highlight a very special milestone for myself, the team, and all of you who have been listening, sending feedback, commenting, and really sharing your own lessons of growth and joy as the podcast has evolved. We are on our official 100th episode. That is correct. That is over 100 hours of amazing interviews with amazing individuals who are just redefining what it means to live an extraordinary life. And we couldn't have gotten here without you. So I just want to take a moment to say thank you. I have grown immensely in this process and I appreciate all of you being along for the ride and giving me your feedback and just letting me know what's working and what isn't. And you guys have made the show, really. So thank you all from all over the world. I'm just so grateful. But uh, without further ado, I want to introduce this week's very special guest, Mr. Brian Smith. So Brian is the founder of the world-famous brand Ugg Boots. Starting in the late 1970s, he imported 500 boots with 500 bucks in capital to sunny California. And Brian spent 17 years building the Ugg brand into a multi-million dollar enterprise, which he then sold in 1995 and has thus allowed the brand to grow into a billion dollar brand. Despite the global dominance, life with Ugg wasn't all rosy. Sales took years to take off in a meaningful way. And Brian faced enormous challenges, including a period when he lost his companies. But despite all of these pitfalls, Brian came out on top. And in this special episode, he's going to share why. I loved this conversation with Brian. For one, Brian's just such a down-to-earth guy, uh, super humble, and it just seems to have such a such a brilliant way for sharing such an incredible story with an eye of humility and love and and acceptance and, and, a, and a touch of spirituality, might I add. Everything from what made Brian even want to start this journey with Ugg Boots, how he weathered a lot of the roller coasters that come with building such a meaningful and monumental brand. I mean, this conversation was just a really humble reminder for me that you're really never done growing. Uh, it doesn't matter how successful you get, it doesn't matter how well you do. Uh, every pillar of growth creates the opposite, which is a tumble down. And in all of these tumbles, we find our greatest teachers. Life can be one of the most beautiful teachers if we allow it to be. And I think this conversation with Brian was just a really important reminder for me to hear that. And so I hope you guys enjoy this episode as number 100. As I mentioned, you guys have created this show. Uh, I started this podcast almost 18 or 19 months ago as a way for me to personally explore what it means to live a fulfilling life. And by finding individuals who have just done everything from business moguls to monks to people who are just 
creating and working through rock bottom moments, every single person has a story and every single person led to, to, to this, to this show being what it is, a celebration of life, a way to explore how we can all stay grounded in the moments that matter and create meaning in everyday moments. And so I hope you guys enjoy this specific episode with Mr. Brian Smith. We've got his links all in the, in the show notes. So if you want to check out his, his book, if you want to, uh, bring Brian out to speak at any of your events or anything like that, just go check it out. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps, leave a review, let me know what's working, what isn't working. Like I said, I read all of the feedback, whether it's in an email, whether it's in a DM on Instagram, whether it's on a comment on our posts, whether it's in a review, all of it, I'm, it means the world. So thank you so much. Uh, and if the podcast has been a big part of your learning diet, share it with me. Let me know how the podcast has impacted you across, along the way. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So anyways, but without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Brian Smith, the founder of Ugg Boots. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you're all having a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal start, middle or end of your week. It is an absolute pleasure to have this man on the other side of the screen. Mr. Brian, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. How are you, Raj? I am so good, my friend. So good. I'm like a kid in the candy store right now. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to go down the rabbit hole and hear about all the ridiculousness that you had to go through to build this amazing baby that I know you are incredibly proud of. Yeah, really, I am. I'm excited. So... All right. Well, I already introed you in all of your glory, so I will skip all the boring details okay. of everything. But one thing that I felt was pretty common throughout the book, actually, the birth of a brand, which I loved, by the way, and I recommend anybody listening to pick up and read, was your eternal optimism. Like It seemed like you just had this indestructible, optimistic nature. and yeah, That's always been my cross to bear, you know? Yeah, and it, but it, it breathed through almost every story you had. It didn't matter if you were going through the uh, the tough times or the good times. So I think I'd love to just start with kind of your definition of success and how your own nature with optimism, like how do you live and breathe and what do you believe success really is just based on your own approach to life? Yeah, well, that that's changed over the years, but it, it goes all the way back to when I was in my mid-20s, I was in Australia and I was a, a public accountant, sort of like a CPA training. Yeah. I hated it. And I remember being at a party one night and one of my buddies there, Rich, who owned this manufacturing company, to, to me he was the most successful guy in our group. And I, I remember getting him aside saying, hey, Rich, how do you know what to do to be successful in life? And he just stopped and he thought for a while and he goes, you know, Brian, just figure out what you can do better than anybody else and do it, and you cannot help be successful. And I'll be quite honest, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, we went back to drinking, you know, because I didn't know anything I was better than anybody else at. But, you know, over the years, I, I, I heard a story about this guy who was going to a book club that reminded me of what Rich said. And he, he wanted to write a book, but every week he'd show up and the 
leader would say, what do you want to write about? And he'd go, oh, I don't know, I, you know. And, and, and eventually the leader got so fed up with it, he, he, as, as I was leaving, he, he picked up a piece of broken tile yeah. uh, from uh, the road and he said, next week I want two pages on this piece of tile, you know. And the guy, he took it seriously and he found out you make tile in precast concrete plants. So he visited this plant and said, hey, did you make this tile? And the guy go, no, that was made by the factory on the other side of town. He goes, shit, how can you tell? So, well, yeah, the sand and the gravel and the gla- glazing and everything. So he went across and he got a tour of the other plant on how tile was made. Yeah. And he came back the next week and he'd written a whole chapter on the making of this tile. But he didn't stop there. He started going to libraries and looking up, the history of tile and photograph, getting, you know, getting photographs from you know, all over the world, all the ancient Chinese tiles and Mesopotamia and Egyptian and you know, Greek and Roman tiles from the bars right. and everything. And after about four or five years, you know, he spent every vacation, he would go all over the world researching tiles. He eventually wrote or produced this huge you know, coffee table book on the history of tile. And apparently he was the only one that ever wrote a book from that entire book club, you know. And why? Because he'd become the best at what he was interested in and he just couldn't help but be successful and publish this beautiful book. So it's a theme that I've always been worried, you know, not, not worried, but wondering about what is success because, you know, my whole tenure at UG was 17 years and it seemed like it was 17 years of failures. Yeah. But eventually I sold it out for millions of dollars and and looking back now it's a, a worldwide brand that's, I think this is the seventh year it's been in the billions and I, I have to admit that was a pretty successful brand, you know. And, you know, as we talk more today we'll, we'll, we'll sort of pass out little pieces of why it was successful. Yeah. Did you feel like, so when you were experiencing these failures, how did you find, I guess, the inner purpose or passion to approach failure with optimism? I think that's something that's very unique about you. Like you, it's almost like you just were really good at just taking one step in front of the other and just keep driving along. Well, after I finally graduated, I quit the same day I graduated as an accountant. And I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I was meditating one day and I just got, you know, this this big dose of goosebumps because I thought, oh, my God, all the big trends are coming out of California. So I went to California looking for the next big product or, you know, thing to bring back like Levi jeans and waterbeds and all these things that had come out of California. Yeah. And I was there for several months and I spent most of my time surfing up at Malibu because that was always a big dream of mine. I discovered one day the water was getting cold and the air was cold and I was pulling on my sheepskin boots that I brought from Australia and I got these goosebumps again and it was like, oh, my God, there are no sheepskin boots in America and one in two Australians had some. So that you know, made me think, sure, I'm going to start importing you know, Ugg boots. And I got the first samples in and, and I was terrified to be a salesman, you know, like I was an accountant. But, uh, you know, went went out and visited a, a lot of shoe stores first. They just shut me out completely like, you know, sheepskin in California, you're crazy. But I knew all the surfers from Malibu who had been down to Australia, bought a bunch of boots back for their buddies. So 
it was really well known. And yeah. so I started going to the surf shops. And I remember walking in, I was had a little bag of samples. I was terrified, you know, to, to go into the first sales call, right? And the, the owner of the shop goes, oh, man, those Uggbers, what are you doing with those? I said, well, I'm thinking of importing them into America. And he goes, oh, wow, you're going to make a fortune. Those are fantastic, you know. And that repeated itself, you know, every surf shop I went to. So I raised a little bit of money. It was about 20 grand and sent 15 down to Australia to buy 500 pairs of boots. And when they arrived, I, I, you know, packed up the van and had a huge duffel bag full of boots and an order pad. And I went back to the same surf shops and, you know, the first one, goes, oh, way, way to go, Brian, fantastic. But, you know, we couldn't sell them out of our store. We just sell, you know, surfboards and trunks and, and you know, sandals. And, yeah. and, you know, cut a long story short, that happened all the way down the coast. And my first year's sales of UGG was 28 pairs, right? So that brings us back to the question you asked, which is, you know, when you're that down, how do you get back up again? <laughs> and the bottom line is I, you know, I had a choice and I could give up, but I, I sort of couldn't because I had 480 pairs of my investors' money, you know, tied up in the third bedroom of my house. Yeah. And so that caused me then to sort of, as every entrepreneur, you know, learns, you have to pivot, you know. When you hit a wall, success doesn't start here and go straight up to, to fantastic. You go along, you hit a wall, you've got to overcome it, then you cruise along for a while, hit another one. It's like this series of plateaus that you have to keep getting over. You know, I just started going on the road to swap meets and street fairs and, and I had the, you know, open up the back of my van after surfing at Malibu and I had a, a regular clientele that would come. It was, like <laughs> having a retail, it was like having a retail store on the beach at Malibu. That kept me going, you know, for a little bit. But it wasn't easy. The, that year I sold about 5,000 pairs of boots, uh, $5,000 worth of boots. And then the summer hit, I had to get a job, you know, washing boats at Marina Del Rey. And then the next season came around and, and I sold about $10,000 worth and, you know, started running these ads that, that, you know, I thought were fabulous. But, you know, I had a you know, beautiful model on the beach at Wind and Sea with a perfect hair and clothes yeah. and everything. And, uh, you know, the sales went to 10. And so another, the next job I think I got all summer was construction in Bel Air near Beverly Hills. And then, so the next year I thought, okay, I'll run more, you know, you know, get more expensive models. And so we ran those ads and the sales went to 20 grand. It was just like I was about to give up, you know, after three years of trying it. Then finally I was about to go into this last season and, and I asked a buddy of mine who owned a surf shop, you know, I, I don't know what's going wrong. I'm running all these ads, but I'm getting nowhere. And he called out to the back of his shop and he said, hey, you guys, come out here. And, and all these, you know, 12, 13-year-old grommets came out. And he says, what do you guys think of Uggs? And they all just went, oh, those Uggs, man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads, those models? They can't surf. And I instantly realized I'm sending this fake image to all of these hardcore surfers, right? Yeah. And so I switched gears and I, I called a buddy of mine, you know, again, pivoting, you know. This friend of mine was running a national scholastic surf team in Orange County and I said, hey, Pete, do you have any young kids going to turn pro? 
And he said, yeah, there's a couple. He gave me Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. And so instead of the expensive photographer, I just, you know, took my own camera and we, we just went surfing at Trestles and Black's Beach, which are these big, long, iconic walks. They're about a mile long to get there. And so I ran photos of them walking to and from the beach and the sales went to $220,000. Holy gosh. It was the beginning of me understanding marketing and advertising is that you never advertise your product, right, yet because in the ads that worked, the boots were so tiny, like one-fiftieth of the page, where in the ones that didn't work, the boots were like way up front and center. And it taught me that you have to get your audience into the, into the ad. And what I'd done is that like every little kid across the country who read Surfer Magazine would die to be on these roads walking to the beach with Mike Parsons and Ted Robb, you know. And when I realised that, that was the beginning of me deliberately creating ads that didn't show the product at all but just showed, you know, surfing, snowboarding, you know, and when I got you know, over to the Midwest, you know, they don't, you know, surf or, or snowboard there, but they all play hockey. So I got these young hockey stars, you know, decked out. And that was really the beginning of me understanding what a brand is. And and that really comes back. A brand is what do people think of your pro- product or what do they think of your company? It's not your trademark and it's not your logo and it's not the product itself. It's what do people think of you? And when I was able to get these kids to just die to be in these ads, then I knew I'd I'd started a really strong brand. What made you have so much faith in the product? I think every time I felt like giving up, I thought, no, you know, one in two Australians has some sort of sheepskin footwear. And Australia is exactly like California, you know, the climate-wise. I said, so it's not that they're too hot or anything like that. It's just that Americans didn't understand sheepskin like Australians do. They thought it was delicate and hot and prickly and you couldn't, you know, wear it outside. Um, But, you know, it it took a long time to sort of figure out how to uh, educate Americans on that. So the perseverance really came from knowing that the product was good. It was just me that was screwing it up. (laughs) Can you tell a story of when? You were thrown into situations where you had no idea what you were doing. You had no idea how you were going to turn out, but somehow, some way, you kind of willed your way out of it. Because I think there's a lot of individuals listening who are probably trying to change their lives, trying to do something. They're being thrust in responsibilities in places that they didn't expect or ask for. And yeah. they're probably at that place. So. Can you? Okay. Well, there's a lot of those instances in my book. Yep. And so anyone who's aspiring entrepreneur, really, it's it's a roadmap for entrepreneurs. You know, stuff that I've learned over the you know 20 years. But to answer it in a backwards way, just few a few years ago, I wrote that book, and the theme of it is that you can't give birth to adults, right? And this is where entrepreneurs need the need the most help. Every company that's listed on the stock exchange in your Wall Street Journal started out with, you know, the equivalent of 28 pairs, right? Right. They all started, you have to start with $1,000. You can't be a billion-dollar company overnight. So every business starts with conception and, and the birth, which is, you know, giving birth is the first action that you take. 
So the birth of UGG was me buying six pairs of samples from Australia to test out in the market, right? But then every business just lies there and it lies there and there's no amount of extra feeding it or jiggling the cradle or urging it. The infant can't get up and go to college. It has to be an infant. And unfortunately, that's where most entrepreneurs give up because they've got this fabulous idea, they launch into action and then it just goes dead. And they got to learn that, that that's a normal part of growth of every business. But eventually, if you keep nurturing it and feeding it, the first, you know, people start writing articles about you and the first true believers start buying product and telling their friends and that's the infancy. And once you get out of that infancy, it starts toddling and, and man, you're, you're on a bit of a roll and, yeah. and that goes quickly into youth where you've got tons of orders coming in, the sales force is great, the accounting's working, the shipping and receiving's working, you know, you know all, all of the facets are working and that you can run a $20 million business in that youth phase and if it's a really, really good you know, product or a really great service, you'll hit the teenage years and you can probably remember when you uh, were a teenager, you want to be at every party in town, right? Well, it's the same in business. You want to be in every big trade show and you want to be in all the big mass distributors and, you, you know, you can really get into trouble quickly by outstripping your capital and eventually it'll mature like every, uh, you know, the accountants come and put all the, that in. So that was a backwards way of answering your question. When you just don't have a clue, if you're in that infancy stage, just trust that if you, if you really believe in what you're doing, if you think it's a breakthrough that nobody else is doing, remember back to the tile guy, just keep working at getting better and better and better and eventually things, you know, the situation outside will change. I'll give you two great examples. One, <clears throat> it was this company up in Oregon yeah. and they had this nylon running shoe and they'd been importing it from Japan called Blue Ribbon, right? Yeah. And they'd been importing it for five or six years and each, you know, sometimes the soles are delaminated but they just kept working on getting it better and better and for five or six years they kept building this product to get better and then the sport of jogging took off and the company changed its name to Nike at around about that same time. And Nike just got sucked into this vortex of, of demand because of the jogging industry, right? Now, here's the, here's the you know, a thing that your, your listeners will be really tickled by. I read the book of, called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, right, who founded Nike. And would you believe that the sales of UGG, the first five years sales of UGG, was greater than the first five years sales of Nike. No way. That's hard to believe. So as bad as I was doing, Nike was doing worse, right? Wow. At trying to get their product into the market. And there's another company in Santa Monica, they'd been trying 10 years to get this little dance shoe into the market. They were advertising in, you know, collegiate cheerleading magazines and dance studios. And the sport of aerobics takes off, and that was that was Reebok, and Reebok got sucked into this thing. So they've been struggling ten years. You know, both of them struggling longer than I have. So, just for everyone listening, you you may as long as you believe in your product and you think it's the best, and you keep working every day to make it better, something's going to happen in you know out there that's going to make 
people aware of you and turn your business into a real business. So it's almost like resilience and grit is more important than whatever. Belief, yeah. If you you got to believe in your product, and and I don't mean blind belief. You know, if if it, some widget that that isn't going to change the world and it's struggling, sit find another one. You know. But so in that it, case, it's almost like believing in yourself more than believing in the product. Absolutely, you, you, your belief in that you can make it make something work, and you know, changing products or gears is, is part of getting better and better every day. You know, it's not a failure. If, if you have something that doesn't work, that's never a failure. That's a learning experience, and you, 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 it'll it'll zig you off onto another direction. Which you know, and you might do three or four zigzags before you hit the one that works. How did you build your own belief in self as you were doing something that was seemingly out of reach, like building a multi-billion-dollar brand? Well, you don't ever know that you're building a multi. You know, a, a billion dollars is a thousand million, right? <laughs> and, and getting to one million is like you know the holy grail. And getting to ten million, man, you got a lot of problems. Getting to 50 million, man, you got a, a company with, you know, 2,000 employees, right? So a billion is like a – everyone talks around billions today like, you know, they see all these internet, internet businesses go in the billions in the valuation, but it's not billions in sales, right? Yeah. So to get to a billion in sales like UG has for seven years is a remarkable feat and, and, and very few products ever do that. But – Back to your, your question, you, to have the belief in something that you just love and you want to get better, with, you, know, you want to make it better, and, and really it, it, it comes back not to getting money from your product, it's wanting people to have it because you love it so much, right? Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's a shift. It's a mindset. Right? You, 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 when you make that mental shift from taking and getting money and trying to be a billionaire and you just want to get everybody in the world on it, whatever it is you're doing, that's 90% of success because that's, it's giving like you're, you're almost like you're giving joy. Like that's the mindset more than it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you specifically the day I learned that I was in a retailer, you know, this is after about six or seven years in business. I was in one of my surf shops and I was looking up my list and I thought, shit, he just, he sold 80,000 bucks worth of Ugg boots last. He bought 80,000 bucks from me, right? And I know they mark it up 100%. So he sold 160,000 worth of Ugg boots and made $80,000 worth of profit. And I knew that the rent on it, this place wasn't much bigger than my little house, you know? The rent could maybe 25,000 a year. And I said, so, okay, so there's like 30,000, 40,000 left for wages and all that. That means everything else he sold in the entire shop was pure profit, right? And I just, that day I realized, my God, I am not getting out of this. I am giving this guy the access to money and profits. And that changed my whole sales attitude from then on. I, I sort of went into every store like, I'd go to the shop where they had the Ugg boots out and I would rearrange it, you know, I'd get rid of the size 13s and the size 5s and swap it out to 7s and 8s, which I knew would sell easier. And I started looking at every retail situation as my part of the store. And well, it's, I feel the spiritual kind of growth you're experiencing every step yeah. of the way. 
Yeah, oh, it's totally spiritual, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it seems like just every step of the way there happens to be another realization or another yeah. awakening moment that yeah. just opens up another window for you to go through yeah. a whole new lens. It is. And since you mentioned the word spiritual, I've come to believe, like, you know, I've had goosebumps at all these different stages. Like when I was meditating and realized California is the way to go, right? Then I got to California, I go, shit, there's no Ugboots in America, right? And all these things that, that have sort of driven me, I remember if I look back at all the major things that have happened and a lot of minor ones, when I get these goosebumps, I, I really believe that there's some sort of intelligence inside all of us like you call it, you know, a fragment of God or a spirit or whatever you want to call yeah. it. But there's some intelligence in us that has a direction that's leading us. And every time we make a decision that's in alignment with that big purpose, I get goosebumps. So I would challenge everyone listening, you know, you, you've all had goosebumps. Because I ask this question, you know, on the stage all the time, who's had goosebumps, right? Everybody puts their hands up. So... It's universal, and I really believe that that's this, this intelligence inside of us telling us, you know, yeah, you're on the right path, you're on the right path. So, so I, I've become to be very big believer in this indwelling sort of spirit. Why do you think individuals don't listen to that feeling? Because you, I mean, it seems like whenever you feel something, you kind of lean into it. And that's led yeah. you on this journey of life. Why do you think, what stops people from doing that? I think the busyness of life. And also, it's hard to say this, but most of your spiritual growth comes when things totally screw up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? In fact, you know, from the depths of despair, you get the biggest lessons and that's when that's when you quiet down all the outside bullshit and you have to realize oh my god i'm at the bottom how do i get out of this that's when you'll feel this this spirit start to work in you and so a lot of the people don't believe it because they've never been that down but if you you know really got a mission and you know exactly where you want to go and it's not working that's when this thing sort of kicks in and helps and it's, it's just been invaluable for me. You yeah. know, there, there were times, gosh, there was a time I, I lost control of the company. I, I mean, I, I like lost the company, period, right, because I, I brought in these three new partners and we were all going to earn it 25% each and there was one clause in the contract that says I didn't actually get my stock certificate out until I finished this little trademark lawsuit that I had going on with another UGH company. And I knew I'd win that. So as far as I was concerned, we all earned it 25% each. And like the first day out on the road, because I, I was now the salesman, instead of running all the internal operations, I was 100% sales. I walked into the first customer and he said, hey, Brian, I heard you sold the business. And I went, what? God. He said, yeah, I, I called an order in this morning and they said, you don't own the company anymore. I said, you're kidding me. And I drove straight back from Huntington Beach all the way to San Diego and I pulled out the contract and I read it and I reread it and I went, oh, shit, you know, I don't own the company. And that was, you know, that was the beginning of like a three-day depression. And if ever there was a chance to give up on the business, that was it, right, because I'd sort of realised that I've sold, you know, the company and I, and I, I won't get my shares until I, if I ever win this lawsuit. 
And and I had a choice to make. Shit, do I go and get another job, you know, could be a real estate or a business broker or, you know, account, whatever. And and it, I, I was meditating and I just had this this sense of, uh, you know, this is what the most meaningful goosebumps I ever got when I thought, shit, no, I've, I've come to love sales. Okay, what can I sell? And I thought, shit, Ugg boots, you know, because I love the product. And so I ate humble pie and I went back up to Anaheim and told the guys, look, I may never own the company, but I'm going to make sure I get Ugg boots on every single person in America. So I went back on the road and, and got back, you know, at the end of the month and I handed me a, you know, an envelope and I opened it up. It's a check for $5,000. That was my commissions. And I, that was the first money I'd ever pulled out of the business. And the next month I got back and checked for 10 grand. The next month, another check for 10 grand. And I realized, you know, I'm out there with all my buddies who own the surf shops and, and a lot of retail stores as well. And I'm, you know, I'm selling in the summer. So we're playing golf and we're going surfing and I'm having a blast on the road, making all these orders and getting paid really well for it. And so that brought up, you know, in my books full of all these little philosophical sayings. And the one that I learned from that was nearly always your most disappointing disappointments will become your greatest blessings. So here I was, I totally lost the company, but now I'm on the road, still in the same business, making a ton of money and loving life. And that went on for three or four years. And, you know, we won't go into it right now, but Eventually, you know, the, the one guy bought out the other two in Anaheim and then he died and by me sticking around, you know, there was another chance I could have given up, you know, the, with, with him dying. But I, I helped his widow out for a year and sa- saved the company and then bought it from her 100%. Oh, my God. And I ended up with the company back again, you know. Oh. So, so there's all these things that, you know, I could have easily given up. There's, there were three different examples just and I could have easily just said, screw it and I'm out of here. But the belief in the product, the belief in the fact that I could pull it off and just, you know, my my overall positive attitude says, you know, I, I'm going to make it work. And so, you know, you can call it whatever you do, but it's that, that belief is is the most important thing. How do you cultivate a positive attitude? Uh, I think you're born with it. You know. Get out of <laughs> I, here, Brian. You know, so many people in life that are just down on everything. You know, you've got to, like my dearest friend, I love the most. He's the most negative person I know. Who knows where you get it from? But, you know, I, I always look at the, the, you know, the bright side. What does it feel like to look at the bright side? I guess, like, what I'm curious about, really, I ask is because you're a meditator. You've yeah. said that a couple times in this, right? Like, are there habits that you have that sort of help you stay connected to that that spirit or that source or like? Yeah, it, it, it goes in and out, you know, like, like everything, you, you know, I, I'll really dive into, you know, a, a routine of meditating and then, you know, six months will go by and I'm, I'm fine, I'm out of it, you know, and, and things are going yeah. crappy. So I realize, oh my God, I haven't, you know, meditated. So I get... So it's a process, but now I, every morning I just have a coffee and I put on something positive. You know, it can be it can be a podcast, it can be you know a, a book on tape that I'm listening to, or, but something that's got to be positive. And I just start my morning off 
knowing that there's a bigger world and a bigger picture out there, and then that launches into the day. So mm. it's it's not like sitting down with my you know fingers crossed and and being silent. I, I've done a lot of that, and at the right time, it's good. But mostly, I just sit down, and drink my coffee, and listen to positive stuff. And that's my morning meditation now because I know that there's a bigger world out there that I'm just a little piece piece of and, and i just got to get back to doing what I do best. And that really, uh, you know, to this day I'm still trying to get better at something. Right now it's public speaking, you know. I, I, I want to be better every single time I go on stage. I want to be better than last time. So I'm building a whole new career now in, in public speaking and, you know, helping entrepreneurs and you know yeah. business people and i love it and they love it and they sense the they sense it coming out of me and you know i i after i speak i get so many people coming up oh my god brian you know i would, i was going to give up the business you know today but now i now i understand i'm in the infancy and i'm going to keep going and and other people who you know seasoned business people go Oh my God, Brian! You just brought up you know five things that happened in my life. You know, thank you so much for you know putting it in perspective. I thought I was a failure, but now I see it's part of the growth. One thing you're brilliant at, and I, I can feel it on this, is always seeing the bright side of things. Feel that, like even when, it, when even when you describe failure, you talk about these instances. You even have like like you're infusing a positive spiritual attitude about the whole thing with like that mindset, like you are such an overwhelmingly optimistic human. Like, is there anything in your life or in your business that you regret or do, does, is regret as a concept, does it even come up for you? Like, Oh yeah, yeah. No, the, the biggest one, I told you I was a chartered accountant. I graduated like a CPA. Yeah. I knew nothing about finance, mm. right? You would think an accountant would understand finance. It's a different animal. And, <laughs> And, you know, I can remember being broke after a million dollars worth of sale, my first million, and we had no cash, right? And I thought, okay, well, the answer is we'll sell two million next year and we'll have a million dollars free cash, right? Well, it turns out we did two million the next year and I was twice as broke. I I owed money because of the capital it took to get more product in and more staff and more advertising and stuff. I ended up with two million, and I have even less money. I was on this spiral, and wasn't even a, it wasn't a spiral. It was just like this logjam of plateaus. Each time I grew, and I was doubling like every year, it got harder and harder and harder. And and I realized, you know, many many years later that I didn't understand the forecasting product. That if I do sell two million, what money am I going to need to have to put in place? to get the product in, to get the sales force going, to get, you know. And this was before, like, the internet when I was going through the hardest times. Yeah. And so you couldn't just go online and look up a business pro forma, you know, and fill in the, the sales and, you know, the cost of sales and overheads and have a cash flow forecast come out. Yeah, that, that was non-existent, right? So now it's much, much easier to you know put your projections down and there's a bunch of business plan formats you know templates yeah. that you can use and it, it 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 makes you aware of a lot of those things but here's the flip side of that i really believe that ignorance is an absolute key ingredient for every entrepreneur 
Because mm. if I hadn't known all the shit that I had to do to get started, I wouldn't have done it. It would have been too hard. Mm. <laughs> Nobody would have known about Ugg boots today. If I had realised that for me to sell, you know, get that 500 pairs of boots, it took me three years to get rid of those 500 pairs, right? And I didn't have the cash flow to sustain it. I didn't have a way to pay myself a salary. I didn't know so many things. I didn't know how the retailers worked. I didn't know, you know, all about you sell the product and you've got to wait 60 days to get your money in. Well, how do you stay alive in the meantime, you know? All of these things I would have been aware of, I would have said, screw this, too hard I'll be an accountant, you know? <laughs> so ignorance is a very, very key ingredient for a, for a good entrepreneur. So let me ask you, in modern day times where there's so much information out there about right. all, I mean, fear is a lot easier to experience, right? About the things that you don't know. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I don't want to do this because of all these. Yeah. How do you yeah. practice ignorance in a time where there's so much already out there. Like it's like there's, there's so many stories and so many fears and all these things bubbling around. Like how do you practice that today? Yeah. Well, the biggest downer of the internet that I see is that you've got all these fake people out there with Ferraris and Lamborghinis behind them and a big house and, and jets and, and they're telling you how to make a fortune and, and it makes you feel really inadequate right? Yeah. That's so much bullshit. You know, half of these guys can't even pay the rent next month, right? But it's the perception of all of these easy money schemes, you know, buy my phone, we'll build you a funnel, you know, here's the way to do it. You know, feeling like you should be getting into all of that and you're not makes you feel like a failure. Yeah. But you have to dissociate all of that. That's from people who are really good at slick sales, right? you got to just focus back on what am I doing? What's my product? What's my service? What's my process? How do I make it better? How do I make it better? How do I make it better? And that slow growth to me is really the only way of getting big enough to, to you know, where you feel successful. And so, you know, I, I think your question was how do you practice ignorance? Yeah, how do you practice it? You, you, you don't try and be ignorant. It's just that it's not a sin if you are. Mm. Because when the right situation, the right set of choices comes up and you make the right decision, bam, that, that bit of ignorance is now no longer, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. You've now gone over another plateau, right? And each time you overcome something that you don't know, is a huge learning experience and that's what adds to your character and your wisdom and eventually your ability to make really good big decisions. You know, that when you start out, they're sort of small. I mean, they're big for you at the time, but they're small potatoes. That's the stepping stones and the what I like to put it in terms of that's the roots you let you grow yeah. so that when you do start to get above ground, you can withstand all the wind and the high, you know, all, the, all the elements. But if you just start out with a really quick, flat, bam, made, made 200. I, I used to speak at this event and it was all these new internet, you know, people. They just made $600,000 on Amazon, right? And they were talking about how many billions they're going to make and how many billions they're going to give to the poor and how many billions they – and they weren't around two years later, right, because they had a really fast, quick, lucky startup and didn't have any roots, 
So when the big decisions came later on, they just didn't have the background or the depth to make the right decisions. How do you build your roots while you're working on building a big tree? You don't notice it. You really don't notice it. Every day is putting roots down. Yeah. You know, every day when somebody doesn't call you back and you, and you still think they're going to, that's, that's a win. Every time you don't get financing from a bank, that's a win, you know, because it, it, it stops you going down that path, makes you find another angle, and off you go again. And, you know, it's eventually, it's, they're, they're slow, slow steps, but shit, a tree grows really slowly too. The good ones. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest ones that took biggest a long ones. time to grow, yeah. That's brilliant. Uh, there's so many analogies in that for any part of life, really. Yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. It's not just business. Yeah. No. How has being an entrepreneur translated to other parts of your life? Has it made you a better friend? Has it made, like, how, is, like, how have you developed just as an entrepreneur? Because are there correlatable or parallels between them? No one's ever asked me that question before. That's really good. I'm really flexible in my daily life. You know, somebody can say, hey, you want to do this? Sure, why not? You know, as long as I don't have a conflict. So I'm not like so focused on what I have to do every day. And that entrepreneurial thing makes me game to try anything. And, you know, I, I do and I regret it. You know, I get into all these <laughs> friends who are starting multi-level marketing things and I, oh boy, I can get in at the top, you know. But then I don't put the work in and I lose money. I mean, so I'm flexible to a fault. I, I, a lot of things I shouldn't do that I do because I'm so positive and enthusiastic in the moment, but, you know, I don't have that belief in deep in me that this is a great product that everybody should have. To me, it's a get-rich-quicks thing, you know. They never work for me. But in life in general, you know, it doesn't matter what comes down, I can pretty much handle it without too much stress. Yeah. So, like, you've just slowly but surely built up just a, I feel like, do you ever feel like your optimism was tested early on? Yeah, there were, there were the, the, like that period I went through the depression when I realized I'd lost the company. That was, a, that was probably the biggest one. And that was three days to get through that. And, and that came from meditation, you know, when I, well, I'll tell you what happened. It was like the third night I was lying on my back on the floor and watching TV and my wife was on the couch, you know. And the show finished and I clicked the TV off and I rolled over on my, this is how down I was. I rolled over on my stomach and I got up on my hands and knees and started walking or crawling towards the bedroom. And my wife just looked at me and, and she's a pretty quiet person. She just says, you get up now and walk to bed like a man. <laughs> and that scared the shit out of me, you know. <laughs> and... and what it did, though, it shocked me out of this thing. And it was like as I came up out off the floor, it was like I, I rose above all this bullshit and I realized, you know, there's so much more to, to life than this little sheepskin business. And the next day I was meditating and that's when I got those goosebumps and realized, shit, I love selling Ugg boots, and that's when I went back. So that was probably the biggest test that I've had. And that was a three-day one. But there were many others, you know, especially when we were successful and, and you know, we, we had product held up on, on, on the, you know, in customs or the 
product you know, didn't leave Australia because it was strawberry season and they were shipping all the fresh foods first, you know, and we had to grind it out for weeks waiting for products before we could get the cash flow started for the season. There were lots of those, but they weren't nearly as desperate as that time I lost the company. So the, the other ones are just operating issues that you have to, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got a million bucks, you still have to figure out the, you know, how to get around all of those problems. Even the eternal optimist needs help every now and then. Yeah, for sure. I love yeah. it. I love it. That's an important reminder to, you know, keep people in your life that, that nourish your spirit. And there was a period after I had a company that was really successful. It got wiped out in the recession. And I, um, you know, it, was, it involved lawsuits and stuff, you know, and I, I didn't want to bring my friends into it because, you know, I didn't want to be the downer of, you know, things are going really shitty and I'm going, this has happened legally and all that. So I started to cut them out of my life thinking I was sparing them, you know, my pain, that was the worst decision I ever made. And, 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 you know, a couple of years later I paid for it in my health, you know, just being a loner. And luckily it was just a couple of really quick short years, but that's when I realised the importance of keeping close people around you. And, you know, even if you can't afford to go play golf, you know, you you, uh, you figure out a way to do it anyway. You know, that there's lots of ways for your friends to help out but you got to let them you, you got to allow them in and that, that was a big that was probably the most important learning lesson not not to do with business but a life lesson was to never cut people out of your life just because you've got problems mm. such an important distinction i mean I, I was just having a friend i think conversation with a friend about this you know like whenever you help a friend you actually feel really good. Oh, yeah, it's great. Right? For so then, oh, yeah. yeah. So why do we, you know, prevent others from feeling just as good about helping us? And, and that was my mistake. I thought I would be a burden yeah. and I, I deprived them of the love that they wanted to give me and th- they suffered because I became a loner. That was, a, that was really cool of you to say that because I felt that same thing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's man, I... Brian, your story has is just one of the most inspiring, like just ones to follow. Because, yeah. like, you're not shy to talk about the shitty times, and you're and you're and you're not necessarily, and you're also not shy to be excited about the best times. There's a great saying in my book because you, 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 your best learning is when you're down at the bottom, you know. And the greatest affliction is never having been afflicted, mm. right? Because if you don't go through the bad times, you're just going to have a really boring, you know, life. It might be a good, you might have millions of dollars, you know, you might have inherited it, but you're not going to grow much. And to me, leaving this planet is, you know, every, every time you make a really good decision, that becomes part of your soul. And that's what you leave with when, when you die. And, uh, you know, the, the more you've been through and the more human you've been and the more people you've helped and the more, challenges you've overcome that that's who you are and that's that's what you die with and so you know to me it it's it's a never-ending process of growth man it's such an amazing amazing way to uh wrap up the uh the interview brian i just want to say again thank you uh, i've really enjoyed kind of peeling behind the curtain uh, yeah, it's, of it's your cool. life 
we just touched on a, on a tiny few. Do you mind if I put my book up? so people Oh, yeah, please. It? And we will make the links available, everybody listening okay. for the book, The Birth of a Brand, Launching Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul. Because okay. this, this really is, it's got a hundred more stories like we just talked about, but it is really a great roadmap for entrepreneurs and just life in general. Yeah. And as I said, I've come to love speaking from the stage. So if any of your listeners or viewers, you know, in a company that thinks they could benefit from having me come along, well, I'd love, I'd love a referral. That'd be fantastic. Well, let's, let's actually do this too. How can, if somebody listening to this podcast heard something that they were really inspired by or wanted to get in touch, how would they reach you? Sure. My website's easy. It's ugfounder.com, U-G-G founder.com. It's really simple. Yeah, yeah real I, simple. I answer emails there all the time. Okay, beautiful. All right, well, we'll make all of those links available. So anybody who's frantically trying to take notes right now, just rest assured, all of that is in the show notes. But Brian, I have one last question for you. Okay. In the midst of your journey and everything you've experienced and the ups and downs and where you are right now, how do you stay grounded? Oh, you know, I just am. I, it's hard to find a reason for how do I do it? You know, just we're just all humans on this planet. We're all equal. No one's better than anybody else. We all got that same fragment of spirit in us. Well, I've become most grounded in the last 10 or 15 years, and it's been because I read a book that talked about unselfish love, right? which is different from unconditional love. I don't believe in unconditional love because, you know, I don't want to love bad people who do things badly. But unselfish love where you love other people just because of who they are and, you you know, they may not be as bright as you or look the same or do the same things, have the same interests, but every one of them is another spirit, you know. And, and so unselfishly loving people is probably where I've become the most grounded. So I'm really at peace with myself these days. And that book was, uh, you know, Learning Unselfish Love was probably the biggest impact that's helped me just be who I am. I don't give a shit if I'm better or worse than anybody else, richer or poorer, better looking, health. You know, I I do like to be healthier than everyone. (laughs) But, But, you know, I'm just me and I'm happy with that now. Man, I can't wait. I can't believe I waited that long to ask you that question. I love right. that that unselfish love. I want I'm going to pick that up. I love that. Anyways, Brian again, thank you so much for being here. I you know, that's one of the best sets of questions I've been asked. So thanks so much for you doing that. Oh, no, I appreciate you saying that. I I sure. really do. It. You're just a really 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 interesting guy. So you make it easy on me, Brian. You make okay, it- well, I look forward to catching up with you at another conference, man. We yeah, yeah, for sure, but Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Brian. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast 
Read in our thoughtful posts or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.